do not take another step. Have you said those words? Can you think of a time when you might say those words? I think maybe the most realistic or frequent example I could think of is maybe when my feet are dirty and the floor is clean. And the person who cleaned it would say, don't take another step. But it gets a little bit more even serious than that when I could picture those words being said by someone holding a weapon, feeling threatened. And then don't take another step means if you do take another step, I'm going to feel even more threatened and I'm going to feel like I need to use this weapon. Or maybe don't take another step means watch out because you may not see that the edge of that path that you're walking connects to a pretty steep cliff, a drop-off, and if you take the step that direction, you're going a, a long distance that you're not expecting. Or maybe don't take another step means I see the rattlesnake coiled up that you haven't noticed quite yet. And in those examples, that next step could turn out to be a final step. A final step that could lead right into some serious danger and maybe sudden death. This evening, as we mentioned, we're beginning a series entitled His Final Steps. We're talking about Jesus' final steps but it's not exactly steps like those where we're worried that he might somehow get himself into trouble or danger. No, he's going into danger and he knows that full well and he has a plan and he has a purpose. And people recognizing the danger might be tempted to say, don't take another step. But Jesus is going to out of love for you and for me. And we're going to actually consider quite a few of these final steps of Jesus. In other words, it's not just the, the last few steps that lead to Calvary and, and to the crucifixion. It's not just the steps he takes even during, during Holy Week. In fact, tonight's lesson comes from before that special week in Jerusalem. But all of these final steps, including, if you will, these first of Jesus' final steps that we're considering tonight, have that plan and have that purpose and have that direction. You already heard about the final steps that we're discussing this evening, kind of a, a lengthy section from, God, from John's gospel, and it, it told us uh, about the fact that Jesus' final steps, these final steps, led to a tomb. By the time our Lenten season is done, we'll have seen Jesus' final steps lead all the way to his own tomb. But tonight we're not talking about Jesus' tomb, we're talking about the tomb of Lazarus. And we're not even just focusing on the fact that Jesus moved his feet and compelled himself to take these final steps, which he did. But we're also going to use steps in another sense, in a more metaphorical sense, like 
the steps of following directions or a recipe. We're going to consider this evening five steps that sort of summarize for us what happened in this account and then the lessons that we might take from it for our lives. Step one is the waiting. The waiting. Jesus gets a message about his close friend, Lazarus. In fact, in that message, Lazarus is called the one whom you love. Jesus loves Lazarus. He loves his sister Mary, his other sister Martha. And Mary and Martha are the ones who send that message to Jesus. And the message is, Lazarus is sick. And we might expect that Jesus would drop everything and head to this person who is sick and go and help him. After all, Jesus did that a lot. Jesus healed a lot of sick people. He healed leprosy. He healed fevers. He healed people who had had suffered many particular ailments for a long time. But when he heard about the one whom he loved, Lazarus, and how he was sick, Jesus did nothing. Nothing but wait. Now perhaps the disciples weren't too concerned about this waiting, at least not at first. After all, Jesus told them up front this wasn't going to result in death. It was going to result in God's glory, and they probably trusted that. It seems the disciples even felt pretty good about this because not going to where Lazarus was meant not going to a place that they knew to be dangerous for Jesus. There in Judea, he had faced danger already. Where they were, they were a bit more safe, I suppose. But I kind of get the feeling that those disciples maybe got a little confused uncertain because after two days of waiting then Jesus said it was time to go by that time the disciples thought they should wait longer (coughs) Jesus told them Lazarus has fallen asleep and I'm going to go and wake him up and they thought that's a ridiculous idea if Lazarus is sick then sleeping is one of the best things that could happen for him that will help him get better we should just leave him alone and let him sleep You've been clued in to what Jesus was really talking about. And so I wonder even this, when Jesus laid it out plainly, Lazarus has died, Lazarus is dead, then did the disciples remember what Jesus said about waking him up? In any case, the first step was the waiting. And there's a lesson in there for us because there are plenty of times that we want something from God. We may even ask God for whatever it is. We may expect it from God. And sometimes God's answer is, you just have to wait. God's timing is not our timing. And Jesus' timing was his own. He had a plan. He had a purpose just like God has for us and for our lives and Sometimes waiting is a part of it when we don't even know the full picture like the disciples did not know the full picture. 
But after two days, they did go to Bethany. They went to where Mary and Martha and many other mourners had gathered near the home of Lazarus. And then came the next step. We'll call step two the warning. We could have called this step by other names. Jesus does much more than warn people. In fact, we hear him encouraging, comforting, teaching. We hear Jesus doing all of these things, but we should, we ought to look at the fact that he is also warning. I'm talking mostly about the things that Jesus says to Martha and to Mary. Both of them had the same reaction when they saw Jesus. If only you had been here sooner. If only you had been here sooner, this wouldn't have happened. Lazarus would not have died. You could have healed him. The sisters knew that Jesus healed people and they trusted in him, but they thought, now it's too late. Jesus spoke to Martha in particular and gave her the warning. The warning not to think too little of Jesus. The sister's reaction really sounded a lot like the reaction of other people in the crowd. The people who said, you know, this guy healed a man who was blind. Couldn't he have stopped this from happening? Jesus said to Martha, your brother will rise. And Martha said, that's wonderful news. That's happy news, but that's not really news for now, is it? That's news about something that's coming way off in the future on the last day, the resurrection, and, and that's pleasing and exciting, but Martha had no idea how long that was going to take or when it was going to happen. And then Jesus explained further. He said, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me will live even though he dies. And whoever lives and believes in me will never perish. Now those are words of amazing comfort and we ought to take them to heart as such. But don't you hear the hint of warning there also? The warning not to think too little of Jesus. Don't assume when we feel it's too late that it's really too late. Don't think that while Jesus can deal with illnesses, he can't deal with death. Because death is exactly what Jesus came to deal with. Well, when Jesus saw the tears... And when he saw the lack of faith or the weakness of faith, then Jesus wept. That's step three for our consideration, the weeping. Jesus wept. Maybe you're familiar with those words because they're often cited as the shortest verse in the Bible. That's true of a lot of English translations. This verse is the shortest book, or the shortest verse, rather, in the Bible. Jesus wept. But boy, is that powerful. All around Jesus are the devastating effects of sin. 
He sees and he knows. He sees the weeping and the wailing. He sees, sees the pain and the suffering. He sees the unbelief and he sees the doubt. And he's moved to sorrow. He weeps over the circumstances. He weeps over what he sees because what he sees is not the perfect world that his heavenly Father created in the beginning, but it's the world that's been tainted and ruined and stained and devastated by sin. And that's the world that we live in too. By the time that Jesus arrived at the tomb, he'd already given us much to think about, much to consider in regard to sin, to sin in general and therefore also to our own specific sins. His waiting and his warning and his weeping send a powerful message to us, a message about our lives, a message for this unique season of Lent that we're entering today. See, Lent, perhaps more than any other time of the year, asks us to put a particular focus on the sins in our lives, to think about them seriously. Even Ash Wednesday itself is a a special reminder of our sinfulness. It's a reminder of the fact that someday, our final steps will lead to a tomb. Jesus is going to this tomb because of sin. Tears of sorrow are understandable, maybe even expected, but the good news is that tears of sorrow are going to come to an end. Because Jesus also comes to this tomb because he has a message about the salvation he comes to bring. And so he takes another step. And this step we'll call the waking. For four days, Lazarus has been sealed in that tomb, cut into a rock with a stone covering the entrance. And Jesus says, take the stone away. Of course, Martha was right that after four days, there was sure to be an odor involved in that. But the people listened to him anyway, and then Jesus goes on to say something else. He says loudly, Lazarus, come out. He woke Lazarus up. Lazarus listened and he came out. We're we're calling this the waking because Jesus himself used that picture, said, I'm going there to wake him up. I have some experience actually in waking people up. It's not always an easy thing to do. Sometimes kids who are not excited about a day of school take a little extra encouragement before they wake up and get out of bed. I can see from your faces that maybe some of you have had a similar experience. Sometimes I'm amazed when either on purpose or often enough on accident, I feel like I'm making a lot of noise and I'm surprised by what other people sleep through. That being said, Let's take it to another level. I'm very confident I could go to a cemetery and I could yell as loudly as I want 
Not that that's very respectful to do, but even if I did, and even if I picked out specific names that I find on the gravestones there and tell them, come on out, yeah, nothing's going to happen. For us, death is as permanent as anything can possibly be, but not for Jesus. He said, come out, and Lazarus came out, came out of the tomb alive. They had to take the grave cloths off of him to let him go. That's amazing news for us. Because there are times when the waiting is going to seem too long and the warning is going to cut us too harshly and the weeping is going to be nearly too much for us to bear as we face real sorrows and real hurts and real pain in this world. But we have an answer. Because the waking tells us that Jesus is stronger than even death. Jesus is the one who came to put an end to death. And this one raising of one dead man is a little glimpse of what's going to happen for all of us. A preview of what is in store for you and me and those whom we love who have fallen asleep in Jesus when Jesus calls your name and says now it's time to come out of your grave that seems like a wonderful place to stop but we're only four steps in there's one more step that we really need to mention as we think about this account regarding Lazarus and his tomb and I'm going to give it a label that's consistent with the pattern that's been established. And that might sound a little strange to you. I'm going to call our fifth step the winning. And this is what the winning looks like. The people who saw Jesus' miracle took it to heart, told it to others, told it to the Pharisees, and the people who saw and heard about this decided what they needed to do about it was call an emergency meeting. And in that meeting, they decided that something needed to be done to stop this guy. And the thing that needed to be done to stop this guy was we need to put him to death. Caiaphas said it out loud. It's better for one person to die, one man, this one man to die for the people than that the whole nation perish and even he didn't know how right he was because this event set in motion those final steps that are now pointed directly and are leading directly to Jesus death where he is going to die on behalf of that nation and not only for that nation but for the sins of the whole world now those steps are aimed squarely at the, the final place, the tomb that he is going to occupy, not because he stepped into it, but because somebody laid him in there dead. But just as Lazarus came out of his tomb because Jesus commanded it, 
so Jesus will come out of his own tomb because Jesus commanded it. And that, once again, is amazing news for us, for people whose steps are leading directly into our own tomb or grave or urn or whatever the circumstance or situation might be. Should the earth last that long, every single one of us, without exception, our final steps will lead to death. And death is a a powerful proclamation of our sin, how things have gone so wrong with God's creation, and yet Jesus tells us about our salvation, His winning The Pharisees thought they would win if they put him to death, but he was going to win, and his winning is our winning. His victory is our victory. So today on Ash Wednesday, we're beginning a a, a journey as we observe many more final steps, and we follow those final steps all the way to the cross and then ultimately to the empty tomb. And that's exactly where our steps should be taking us during this unique and somber and special season. Our lives should take to heart, not just during Lent, but always the, the message of the waiting and the warning and the weeping. And our hearts and our lives should be comforted by the waking and by the winning. And so we say thank you, Lord Jesus, for taking those final steps for us. Amen.